If Kyler Murray doesn't spend the requisite four hours a week preparing for the upcoming opponent, he could be subject to loss of potentially $100 million in future guarantees. Hello there, boys and girls. Welcome to another edition of the Business of Sports with Andrew Brandt. We are brought to you, as always, by DraftKings. Produced by Brian Neal, musical producer Sam Brandt. My son, you hear his music below us. You know what, guys? I haven't done a rant in a while. We've had a couple of symposium panels on over the early part of July. And last week, of course, I had the interview on the topic of Brittany Griner being detained in Russia with ESPN's TJ Quinn. So I haven't talked to you in a while for my rant. So here we go. It's a July 26th version of the Rants 2022. And of course, I'm going to talk about that contract that's in the news. It's right in my wheelhouse Kyler Murray and the Arizona Cardinals got a lot of thoughts on it, even beyond the independent study clause, which we will break down in detail. We'll also talk about the Packers financials, again, right in my wheelhouse. The shareholders meeting was yesterday. I want to talk about those financials internally with Green Bay, but also externally across the league. And we'll get into some other contract issues as NFL camps ramp up and people come in. And the offseason is effectively over as we sit here today. On July 26th, it's kind of the end of the offseason as we begin training camps league-wide, and maybe I'll pepper in some other things. But we can get right to it on the Business of Sports Branch Rants edition. Okay, Kyler Murray, the contract, before we get to the clause, the contract. This has been brewing all offseason. You remember the missive on social media back in, I don't know, maybe it was February, March? early March, when Eric Burkhart, the agent for Kyler Murray, put out some long Twitter, social social media post talking about blah, 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 and Kyler this, and the Cardinals this. <laughs> the, the, the translation I had for it was, hey, this guy's been playing for relative peanuts as your starting quarterback for three years for the Cardinals. Pay him. Show him the money. And as everyone knows, after three years, not two, three Teams are allowed to extend their players. So that will be next year for people like Joe Burrow and Justin Herbert. But Kyler Murray was the guy this year, and it seemed to go all off season. Are they going to pay him? Are they going to sign him? Are they going to extend him? Little rumbles of discontent out there from the agent and Kyler. Well, he got a deal. He got a deal as of late last week. It's reported he gets the deal. Now let's talk about what was reported and how they spin these things. It was reported he got... million average. Again, $230.5 million over five years, which would beat, best defeat, the standard around the league, which is, of course, the Deshaun Watson, $46 million a year. And you're looking at that, or I'm looking at that and saying, wow, that's eye-popping. Kyler Murray got more than Deshaun Watson, $46.1 a year for a five-year deal. And then you read the fine print. That's not exactly... It's not a five-year deal. It's a seven-year deal. And maybe he got the $46 million on the five-year extension, but he has two other years. So here's the real deal in terms of value. $219 million over six years, which is like a 36.5 average. Nothing to sneeze at. Very good deal. $36.5 million average with a team option at a big number for the seventh year. Now, that's the overall deal. Now we get to the guarantees. 
And you know me, I'm going to talk about it again because I'm like a broken record. For the second time, when maybe more, owners were able to win this issue. The second time since Deshaun Watson. Watson has a five-year fully guaranteed deal. That set the stage, I would think, for agents and players to leverage that for top quarterbacks. We've had two so far. Derek Carr, Kyler Murray. And owners win on both. The owner won in Vegas. The owner won in Arizona. The, when I say won, kept the traditional top quarterback structure, not the Watson structure, not a fully guaranteed five-year deal, but rather sort of a three, two, two-and-a-half-year guarantee, and the rest is all on the come without guarantees with the team. Now, I know what some of you are saying. Well, so what? You're not, not going to cut Kyler Murray. They're not going to cut Derek Carr after a couple of years. And maybe you're right. But the whole point of negotiations is allocation of risk. And the Cardinals have allocated all the risk in this contract to Murray after three years. And three years is a relatively long time, but it's pretty safe bet that whatever he is, 25 years old, he'll be fine for three years. So they gave him 105 roughly million dollars over three years, and then we'll see. That's the structure of the contract. With Derek Carr, $100 million over three years. Then we'll see. Now, these cash flows are good. They're better than Josh Allen. They're way better than Pat Mahomes. So the cash flow is not the issue over the three years. The security is. I thought that after Watson, we'd get into this. And Lamar Jackson, of course, will be the next test case. We'll see what happens. But Murray didn't get it. So Arizona owner Michael Bidwell was evidently successful in preaching to the agent that, hey, Watson's an outlier, Watson's an aberration, Watson had teams bidding. But it's up to the agents for these players and agents of future players to say, I'm not going along with that. It's up to them to leverage the Watson contract because it is precedent. It's now in the books. Forget about what happened. It's in the books as the standard, the gold standard for quarterback pay. And do teams want to play in that game? And now Bidwell has been able to argue, I can't do it. And again, the issue of funding. You have to fund future guarantees if they're fully guaranteed contracts, not injury guarantee, full skill guarantees. I guess Michael Bidwell was successful in telling the agent, I can't do that. I don't have $170 million sitting around. That's what Mike Brown's going to argue from behalf of the Bengals with Joe Barrow. That's what Dean Spanos is going to argue on behalf of the Chargers with Justin Herbert. That's what Mark Davis argued with Derek Carr. That's what Steve Bashotti may try to argue with Lamar Jackson. Listen, agents have to press up against this. Step up. Step up. Push the envelope. Back them down and say, I'm not doing it. Will that happen? We'll see. So on the guaranteed portion of the contract, obviously, the team wins. On the money, it's good good cash flow, $105 million for three years for, for Murray. But it's not a fully guaranteed deal, and it's not $46 a year. It's $36 a year, and then a team option for the seventh year, and he's under contract a long time. It's never going to hit free agency when he's a valuable player. So again, a lot of things about this contract, but now we get to the coup de grace. What everyone's asking about is this independent study clause, this homework clause. It comes out yesterday, reported by NFL media, which tells me it's coming from the team, that Kyler Murray has to spend 
four hours or more of every game week this year studying for his next opponent. Now, this is independent because it's independent of studying with the team, with the team stuff on the tablet. It's independent, and he cannot be using the tablet to play video games, to play Xbox, to watch movies, to watch cartoons, to do whatever. And that's the clause. What's the enforcement? Well, if he doesn't do that, he could lose future guarantees. It would be considered a breach and suspension of future guarantees. It would void future guarantees. So let's get this straight. If Kyler Murray doesn't spend the requisite four hours a week preparing for the upcoming opponent on that iPad and, and verified that four hours, he could be subject to loss of potentially $100 million in future guarantees. I'll say it again. If any one week where an upcoming opponent is not prepared for by Kyler Murray independently for four hours, he's on the hook for up to up to 100 million 105 million as it stands now of future guarantees are you kidding me and the other way to look at this is wait a minute they just paid him they just signed him 6 years plus a team option 7 years 105 guaranteed 230 total whatever it is wait but they want him to study <laughs> like they don't feel comfortable having a basic contract without a study clause. What does that tell you? That tells you they don't think he'll study. That tells you they're concerned about his work ethic. There's also $9 million in this contract for workout bonuses where he has to be there in the offseason, 85, 90% of offseason workouts. What does that tell you? They want him there. They don't trust his work ethic outside the place. They don't trust his work ethic on the weight room. They don't trust his work ethic in the off season and they don't trust his work ethic in season in the classroom yet they just paid him this is astounding i've been looking at nfl contracts as an agent as a team executive and as a business analyst for over 35 years i've never seen anything like this never i've never seen contractually legislated study time Ever. And what that tells me is the Cardinals had legitimate and have legitimate concern about Murray preparing for games. And this got out. How did it get out? Well, again, it came from NFL media. Eric Burkhart and Kyler Murray don't want this out, but it's out. So it obviously came from the team. I don't know for a fact it came from the team, but it seems like it came from the team because after all the stuff coming out about, oh my God, $46 million, elite pay for a quarterback, they probably felt like, hey, NFL media, you should hear about this. You should see this part of it. Maybe it came from a rival agent. Maybe it came from the union. Maybe it came from a rival team. But it didn't come from Murray. That's not a good look for him. It's a bad look for him. And usually when you have a contract like this, you're celebrating. It's big. It's important. It's exciting. He's the face of your franchise. You're excited to pay him. This one seems like, well, we'll pay you, but you need to make this money by coming here in the offseason, and you're going to lose all this money if you don't study. Oh, my God, what kind of contract is this? I've never seen anything like it. Now, is Murray okay with this? Are we going to get past this? 
Is this going to be an issue? And then, of course, the big brother aspect to it. How are they making sure he's doing it four hours? I mean, is this honor code? And I guess with technology, they can control what, you know, maybe they can turn off the Internet and just have them work on the game plans. I don't know. But there's a sort of a, a big brotherish part of this, too. How are they knowing and how are they going to enforce that? And good luck going to an arbitrator about this one if it gets to that. Because there will be lawyers, no matter what, if they try to take away future guarantees based on this study clause. Come on. Come on. All right. Kyler Murray's in the books. We will see how or if this affects Lamar Jackson. That's the next one to fall in line. Will he get the full guarantee that Deshaun Watson has? Will anyone get that before maybe next year? And Russell Wilson. We'll see where it goes. Again, my final thought on Kyler Murray is I just sense maybe they didn't want to pay him. They just felt like this was going to be such a problem if they didn't that they did. And in, in doing so, they felt like, okay, but we need these workout clauses and we need this study clause. And maybe the study clause was heavily negotiated. Maybe they wanted eight hours a week and they got to four with negotiation. I'm stunned at this Murray contract, as you've heard. And I just spent 15 minutes talking about it. hope that was informative to you, interesting, and maybe even entertaining. Kyler Murray now signed for seven years. Last year, team option. They're all team options after the first two or three-year guarantee, of course. Anyway, let's move on to the green and gold. And it is gold, and it is green. Because the Packers financials were released last week. The shareholders meeting was yesterday. And business is booming, not just in Green Bay, but throughout the league. A couple numbers to, har to harp on here. The number that's everything stuck out. It's not, it can't, three numbers stuck out. And they're all the revenue numbers. 579 million total revenue. 579 million total revenue for the year of 20 to 21. Wow. Wow. You know, when I left there in 2009, I think our revenue number was about Oh, less than half. It's probably 250, 260 million total revenue. That's astounding. 232 million of that was local revenue. 579 total revenue, 232 local revenue. That's got to be up there in the local revenue rankings. Now, we don't know because no other teams show their books, but that's got to be way high for local revenue in the rankings. I mean, again, think about the local revenue. Again, I was there with the Packers. We we had a band box of a building in 2000 when we before we renovated. And the building was open 10 days a year. Now you've got the Packer fan tours. You've got the Hall of Fame tours. You've got the atrium. You've got the stadium tours. And, of course, you've got that pro shop that is just rolling in dough. When I was there, we were doing at least a million a month. I can't even imagine what they're doing now in that pro shop. And the pro shop's huge now. So, anyway... 232 local revenue, and then the big number, 347 million national revenue. What is this? This is media primarily, but also sponsorship and licensing money. So listen to that. 347 million is the check to the Packers and every other NFL team. Every other NFL team, all 32. It's the distribution of national revenue. Most of the revenue in the NFL is national. 
347 million. So before they turn the lights on, before one drop of local revenue, there is 347 million of, of, na of national revenue that each team gets. And you think about that, your largest expense by far is player expenses. Player costs for the salary cap for that year was the down year after the pandemic, 182.5 million. Let's even throw in $40 million for benefits. Say it was 220, say 230 million. So you got 347 million and you're only paying 230 million for all your player costs. So you've got 120 million just to play with. Now I know you have to pay bills and you have to do all this stuff, but wow. And then when you get to the big numbers for the Packers, 570 million, 79 million, they did have about 500 million of expenses. Now again, they said it was a unique year for expenses because it was post-pandemic payoffs, etc. But they still had 79 million of profit. Thinking about that, 78, 79 million of profit. Okay, again, going back to when I was there, we'd come out of there with maybe 30 million of profit, 25 to 30 million of profit. And of course, when that came out, all the agents would call me and say, I got to wait for you to spend that profit, which would be on their players, which I would politely decline. But $78 million of profit for the Packers. Extrapolate that around the league to much bigger markets, and you can wonder how much the owners are making on these teams. So again, we hear things about, well, you know, the, the Cardinals and maybe the Bengals and Chargers next year aren't going to be able to fund future guarantees because they're family businesses, not like the tycoon of Brown's owner, Jimmy Haslam. I'm like, are you kidding me? They're getting $347 million right away. They've got an asset worth at least $3 billion. The latest sale was $4.65 billion for the Broncos. And these record media contracts are going to kick in. It's, it's going to be... These are salad days for NFL owners. They have a team-friendly CBA that goes for like another eight years. They have these media deals that go for 11 years that haven't even kicked in yet. They're going to pay $110 billion. 10 billion a year, 10 billion a year. Think about that for 32 teams. That's like, they're going to eventually get 300 million just from TV, just from media, each team. So anyway, then you have these skyrocketing franchise values. So Mike Brown, Michael Bidwell, Dean Spanos, they're not going to be able to say for very long, we can't fund future guarantees like the Browns. They can. There's so much money. These are salad days to be an NFL owner. Now, again, can you extrapolate the Packers finances? Well, every time in collective bargaining, the union says, look at the Packers. There's the smallest market. These other teams must be making Bob, big boffo more than that. And the, the league would say, well, Green Bay is, is unique, as I know so well. It's this vast Packer nation. There's nothing like it. And then the union would rightly say, well, show us your books. Just show us what everyone else does. And the league would say, no. <laughs> so that's where we are. Uh, yeah, big time money coming out of Green Bay. Business is booming in Titletown. Business is booming around the league. It is, you know, again, the NFL, we can all have our theories why it's so popular. It dwarfs every other league in this country, even baseball and basketball. It is what it is. The NFL is a booming business. Uh through pandemic, through recession, through whatever, they are rolling. Okay, get some water. 
Speaking of the NFL, I want to just go through a quick pet peeve of mine. Franchise tag deadline came and went last week. Uh, there are two unsigned franchise players, Jesse Bates with the Bengals, Orlando Brown with the Chiefs. Now, there are reasons behind deals not getting done. People are blaming Orlando Brown without an agent or without an experienced agent, turned down some big money. Hey, you know, who are we to tell a player who should have taken a contract and he didn't want to take? Maybe it was the biggest contract ever to tackle, but what were the guarantees like? Maybe he wanted a more Watson-looking deal. Anyway, they're unsigned. And I can guarantee you in the next five weeks, because they're both are saying they're going to stay out of training camp, someone's going to call them a holdout. Call one of them or both of them holdouts. And this is my little pet peeve. People, they are not holdouts. Orlando Brown, if he misses camp, Jesse Bates, if he misses camp, they excuse me, are not holdouts. A holdout is a player with a contract that's not playing, that's not in camp. That's a holdout. A franchise player who's unsigned is that just that, an unsigned player. No contract, unsigned. So what we have with Bates and Brown is they don't have a contract. They, their contractual with the relationship with the Browns and Chiefs is the exact, Bengals and Chiefs is the same as your and I relationship with the Bengals and Chiefs. We're unsigned. We don't have to go to camp. And if they show up week one to get the big paycheck, fine. That's what the prerogative of a franchise player is. You're going to tag a player, take them off the market, someone who should be making much more on the open market. They have the right to say no. And they don't sign the tag. And they'll show up when the paychecks start. They don't want the, the buckus money from training camp for showing up there. So anyway, they're not holdouts. <laughs> they're unsigned players. And speaking of holdouts, Roquan Smith is not a holdout. He's in camp, but he's not going to practice. Roquan Smith of the Bears is going to stage a hold-in, which seems to be far more effective than holdouts. I don't know if we have any holdouts right now, players who are under contract that aren't showing up. So Roquan Smith is showing up, just like T.J. Watt did show up last year and at the end of camp got this massive, massive contract. That set the stage for Aaron Donald's next contract. Now, Roquan Smith sees that, and it looks like he's going to show up and not practice and see if he will, and he probably will, force the hand of the Bears to do this. So what we're seeing with the NFL since Jalen Ramsey did this with the Jaguars is the hold-in strategy from players is a lot more effective than the hold-out. And now we go first full circle to Kyler Murray. Maybe Kyler Murray was going to come into camp and hold in until he got this contract and they just gave it to him. Again, with all the stipulations that we talked about. But I was a general manager or assistant general manager for many years and I never worried about a holdout because they'd eventually come in because all the penalties for holding out, which are now stepped up, the union gave away even more concessions with those penalties. But I always did worry about a hold-in. In those days, we called it just someone being disgruntled, and we had a couple players during my age, my day, where we did have to ship them out because of this negativity that they brought to the locker room and to the field and to the organization. That's effective. I mean, I'm not 
advocating this for players, but it is effective because unless you want to stay, because a team will look at if you're a superstar, if you're TJ Watt, they're not going to trade you, but sometimes teams will look to trade you. So you better accept the consequences of being shipped out. But the hold-in strategy, because no one wants someone affecting other players negatively. Now, maybe TJ Watt, maybe Roquan Smith are not going to do that, but they've decided business-wise they're going to hold in to try to get paid rather than hold out to try to get paid. And that's a better strategy. It really is. It's a better strategy. So we'll see what happens. I noted that as all the players report for training camp in the past couple of days, that one caught my eye. Uh, and finally, we see a couple of retirements. Danny Amendola, why are they retiring now as opposed to early in the offseason? Because early in the offseason, in my opinion, they thought there was still a chance they'd be signed. Once you get to training camp, you're not getting signed. So I think players decide as the eve of training camp, all right, I'm out, you know. I understood it. I tried for six months. I'm out. Um, and that's what's happening. And finally, speaking about Jimmy Garoppolo will be traded if they can find any trade partner. <clears throat> this is the natural progression of taking Trey Lance at number three, trading up multiple assets, multiple first round picks to get him. It's the end of an era. You know, and we I was involved in much more dramatic transition when we had to tell Brett Favre we moved on. This time they're telling Jimmy Garoppolo we moved on. It's the same thing. It hurts. It's hard to hear. But that's what's happening. Okay. Listen, that'll do it for this week's edition of the Brant's Rants. Please, if you're not, get my newsletter. I, I deal with a lot of different issues in this newsletter, as well as life hacks, fitness tips, everything else. Andrew-Brant.com. I'm starting this new sports business league, which is going well. Andrew-Brandt.com slash SBL. I give you daily videos. I give you weekly meetings. We get together and chop it up every Wednesday night. So join in there if you can. Share this with a friend. Give us a good review. Apple Podcasts, wherever you hear your podcast, that would really be helpful to us. I really appreciate that. Instagram, Andrew Brandt too, doing all the reels. You know, Twitter, Andrew Brandt and Clubhouse ADB719. Hope you really enjoyed this edition of the Brands Rants. I haven't been here in a while, and we'll be back next week with our producer, Brian Neal, our musical producer, Sam Brandt, with another edition next week of the Business of Sports with Andrew Brandt.